relationship with you, we find everything that we need because you truly are all that we need. Thank you for being so good to us and providing for us so well as we think about your goodness to us and your character in our lives. As we open up your word to see what you've written for us today, I pray that we would be receptive to what your Holy Spirit might speak to our hearts. However, this message and these words need to be applied. We pray that we would hear them, we would receive them, and we'd be changed by your Holy Spirit applying them to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And amen. Well, I invite you to take your Bible to Romans chapter 8. We've spent a couple of weeks in this chapter, and we will spend uh, one more message in this series, uh, including today, not including today, uh, in a couple of weeks we'll finish up, but we are working our way through this book of Romans, what many people call the greatest chapter in the Bible because of its richness, and, and we've seen already the difference that a Savior can make, and, and we've seen Seen the difference that the Spirit can make in our lives. I want to share with you a message today about the difference that suffering can make. Now, I hope this will not be your experience. It was the experience of a church uh, somewhere some, at some time in the past. Their pastor was preaching through uh, the, this idea of suffering and how we do that well, and, and they wanted to pump up the service. They wanted to, to publicize it, to church to make sure people were able to, to enjoy the truths that were going to be mentioned. So they put out on their church sign in, in big letters, want to know more about suffering? Come hear our pastor Sunday morning. <laughs> I hope that's not your experience today. I hope we can indeed learn something about suffering. But notice that the message title is what a difference suffering can make. Not what a difference it does make, but what a difference it can make if we respond to it in a proper way. There is something that, that I call uh, sanctified suffering. And it's not just suffering, but it's sanctified suffering suffering. That's when God uses everything in our lives and every circumstance of our lives to bring us closer to Jesus and to make us more like Jesus. Look, every single person, it's just a known and it should be an accepted fact of life that everyone, regardless of their standing with God, will suffer in this life. What the, the, the difference that Jesus makes is that only those who have a relationship with Jesus can suffer in a way that brings them closer to God and makes them more like Jesus. And that's what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 18. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with either eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. 
And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who were called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And we could spend weeks just walking through those few verses, but we're just going to do it in the next couple hours that we have together because there's so much stuff that's right here in verses 18 through 30. I'm joking, lighten up. You're not going to get an extra hour sermon just because you get an hour of sleep. You don't get extra hour sermon, okay? Now, I've discovered, however, that, uh, that, that many people have some false ideas about suffering and, and at times don't really understand the, the biblical truth related to suffering. So, therefore, our goal with this text today is to allow Romans 8 to address some of those, those false narratives and to give us some hope for it. You know, sometimes the best way to understand something is by understanding what it is not before you understand what it really is. And when it comes to the difference that suffering can make in our lives, this is especially true. Let me share with you at the outset just a few of the false narratives that exist that Romans chapter 8 seems to correct. For example, there is a false narrative that is believed among some that those who live right, whatever right is, will avoid suffering. That's a false narrative, that those who live right will avoid suffering. One of my major pet peeves is this thing in our culture today that's called the prosperity gospel. It's preached behind pulpits all over our country. It's preached behind the pulpit of the largest church in our country right now this morning, a few times this morning, somewhere where there's a preacher with some really good hairspray and teeth whitener, okay? You can figure that out yourself. But the idea is that if you live rightly, everything will go right for you. And if you just toe the line with God, then nothing but good will happen to you. And that's simply false. If I do X, then God is obligated to do Y. And Y will always be a blessing absent from suffering. That's a false narrative. And it's not just people caught up in that prosperity gospel. There are people in this room today who believe that. Many believe think that if you live like you're supposed to live, you can avoid or at least minimize suffering. However, notice that in this text we just read, Paul assumes that people will suffer. 
It's an assumption by this man who is inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to write this, that suffering is a part of the believer's life. He said in verse 18, he talked about this present suffering. These present times are full of suffering. He said in verse 23, we groan out. That word groan is not a positive emotion. It's a negative one. We groan because of these sufferings in our life. But you just don't have to take Paul's word for it because Jesus himself, many years before Paul, made sure that we understood that suffering, tribulation, trouble was a part of life. It was Jesus who said in John 16, 33, in this world you will have tribulation. Paul says in Romans 8 that even creation itself in its bondage to sin cries out for redemption from the suffering that is caused by sin. It's only through God's special intervention on behalf of followers of Jesus that anything in this world works out for good. So the idea that those who live right will avoid suffering, Paul says, Romans 8, it's false. But the flip side of that is also false. And Paul corrects this thinking as well, and that is those who live wrong will always suffer. There's the false idea that if you live right, you never will suffer. It's a false idea that if you live wrong, and again, however you define wrong, you will always suffer. And the idea here is that in suffering, if you're suffering, God must be trying to get your attention. Surely you've done something that has angered God, and your suffering is because you've done something wrong. And God is sending suffering your way. The idea, the false idea is to expose some sin in your life. My friend, may I remind you of what Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 teaches us, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, okay? Now, it's certainly true that, that God will sometimes use a moment of suffering to teach us something about himself. I, I think that it's possible that, that, God, that, that, that suffering is a tool, not that God necessarily sends, but that he allows to wake us up. I think about Jonah I think we could say that Jonah went through a little bit of time of suffering. I've never spent three days and nights in the belly of a big fish, but I got a feeling after cleaning a few, it ain't that fun. <laughs> and I think there was maybe some suffering involved there in order to get, and it got Job's attention. But not every time we suffer is it God saying, you've done something wrong and I need to expose it. In fact, the suffering that Paul discusses in Romans chapter 8 doesn't appear to be in response to something someone did that was wrong. Or think about the book in the Bible that deals with suffering the most, the book of Job. God made a point of telling us that Job's suffering had nothing at all to do with his sin. In fact, God said he was a very upright man. Or what about the most upright man to ever live? You know, starts with J, rhymes with Isis. Remember that guy? 
Jesus was the perfect, most perfect human to ever walk the face of the earth. And yet the Old Testament said that he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He went through suffering. I would say crucifixion, pretty high on the suffering list. And Jesus went through that himself. The existing of suffering in your life doesn't always mean that you're living wrong. In case there's a false narrative that those who live right will avoid suffering, there's a false narrative that those who live wrong will always suffer. And then there's a third false narrative that Paul creates in here, or that he, he responds to, and that is that those who suffer should always be able to find the purpose for every pain in life. This is where Romans 8.28 is most misunderstood. This is when it's used wrongly when this belief is stated. See, all things work together for good doesn't mean that you always see what that good is. Now, sometimes we can see it, leave no doubt. Sometimes we can go through a situation in our lives and some time passes and we can look back at a painful chapter in our lives. We can look back at some painful circumstance, and we can see how God used that to sharpen us or to make us more like Jesus or to do something in our lives that he would not have done otherwise. Sometimes we can do that, but sometimes, just to be honest, sometimes we don't see it. In fact, Paul indicates in Romans chapter 8 that a lot of the good that God brings out in our suffering will only be understood and seen in eternity. On the other side of this world and this life. You see, he said in verse 18, about the glory that is to be revealed to us, that's future tense. In verse 25, he speaks of how we wait for hope to be revealed. That's the future. <clears throat> now, look, I, I'm just like you. I live in the tension where I want to live by faith. But the moment something happens that I cannot see the purpose or I cannot understand what's God, what God is doing, I'm tempted to throw my hands up in frustration. We want to live by faith, but we also want to be able to understand why every bad thing happened, why it happened. But that's not walking by faith. That's walking by sight. Faith means that I trust God even when I cannot see him. Faith involves waiting patiently until the end to see the resolution of your situation. If you take nothing else home with you today, will you take this next statement home? with you. Some things that happen to us in life simply will not be resolved until eternity. That is just how life works. So, how do we make it from now until then? We cling to hope. You see, hope is one of the themes of Romans chapter 8. I remember when President Clinton, something I, I, I advertise every now and then is, is I am distantly related to President Clinton, which of course it's Arkansas, everyone's related. Uh, 
but uh, uh, my dad actually preached President Clinton's mother's funeral when she passed away because of the family connection. Not close enough to getting us any tax breaks or perks, but, but just, just enough to say uh, we're related. And, and he, he was born in, kind of funny, he was born in Hope, Arkansas. He grew up in Hot Springs, Arkansas, just up the road. And I lived uh, 15 miles from Hope. Uh, in fact, went by his childhood home just a couple, of day, a couple of weeks ago when I was there visiting uh, to attend a funeral. And um, uh, it's funny, when he was running for office, people in Hope were like, Clinton, he's a, he's a hope boy. He's our governor. He's a hope boy. And Hot Springs is like, no, man, he was there for like a couple of years. He was raised in Hot Springs. He's a Hot Springs boy. And President Clinton got into office, as most politicians do, had some controversy. And, and when that particular big controversy happened, everybody in hope was like, you know, President Clinton, he's from Hot Springs. He's up the road. <laughs> and people in Hot Springs are like, no, 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 no. Huh? He's a hope boy. <laughs> you guys got but when he was running for office, he made this great speech, and everybody in our whole town, man, they latched on to it because he referenced hope. He's talking about the city, but he said, I still believe in a place called hope. Man, everybody went crazy. Hope is something that we long for. Hope is something we want to have. And, and hope, not the city in Arkansas, but hope, the quality, the reality that God expresses to us in Romans chapter 8, hope is this theme. We cling to hope because God has given us some promises. May I share with you just real quick the promises of God for us that if we believe them, latch on to them, suffering can make a difference because of these promises. First promise is this. God promises that he will use all things to make you like Jesus. Look, if you are going to claim the promise of God in Romans 8.28, you have to live for the purpose of God of Romans 8.29. Okay, you can't claim that promise in verse 28 without surrendering to the plan in verse 29. And, and look at what he says in verse 28.29 again. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who were called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, to be made more like Jesus. God's purpose in all things, good or bad, is to make you more like Jesus. In fact, the good in Romans 8, 28 isn't so much about giving you better circumstances as it is to make you more like Jesus. We must anchor our hope in this truth. That there will come a time if we submit ourselves to God in faith when all of those painful chapters of your life, when the heartaches and the tears and the disadvantages and the disappointments, when you will see that those were used by God for one purpose, to mold you into the image of Jesus Christ. There is something about suffering that causes your fellowship with Jesus to go to a different level. In fact, as I was thinking back this week to the people who most remind me of Jesus, I discovered that they had several qualities that they shared, and one of them was that they suffered because it made them more like Jesus. Remember that great theological movie? It came out in the 80s, The Karate Kid. Remember that? 
when Mr. Miyagi was telling Daniel's son to wax on and to wax off and to paint and to, you know, everything. And, and, and Daniel LaRusso just got kind of tired of it. He was like, this is pointless. This is useless. And later on, Mr. Miyagi showed him how the whole sanding was to block the punches. And he showed him how all those things that he was doing that made no sense to him all of a sudden made sense to him. Now, I'm not suggesting you get your theology from movies, but I'm saying that's kind of how God works is that we go through things in life and we wonder, why are we just sanding things? Why are we just painting the fence? Why are we just going through all this? And then later on down the road, we realize that God is using those things to make us more like Jesus because that's his promise. He promises to use everything that happens to you to make you more like Jesus. The second promise is this. God promises that your story will end in redemption. We, we have hope because God makes a promise that our story will end in redemption. Now look, when you come to faith in Jesus, you place your faith in Jesus. He redeems you spiritually but physically, you are yet to be redeemed. Your body has not yet been redeemed. Exhibit A. <laughs> I have discovered, I'm at the, and I know I'm still a young whippersnapper in my early 40s, and I know some of y'all got socks older than I am when you're at home. I understand that. But I'm at the point in my life now that I count getting out of bed as exercise. <laughs> I have learned, I have now gained the skill to where I can sneeze, simultaneously sneeze and pull a muscle in my back. <laughs> Just Thursday, I was getting something down out of the attic, and after I did that, I was like, man, my hands are killing me. And I was like, you big dummy, you didn't even use that hand. <laughs> It's just, I mean, our body, our bodies are getting older and they're getting frailer and, and they're getting, for some of us, larger and, and they're going through things in our lives because our bodies have not yet been redeemed. But I take comfort in verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inward as we wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. This body is one day going to be redeemed, not just back to the days of my youth, but to a body like the resurrected body of Jesus. I won't get tired. I won't ache. I won't struggle with the things that weigh this body down. Now look, I don't understand how that all works. I don't understand about everything there is to know about what is waiting for us in eternity. But Paul says this redemption, there's something about this redemption that is so glorious that our worst pain on this side of eternity cannot even compare to the glory on that side of eternity. He says in verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time, they're not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed 
revealed in us. It is so great we cannot comprehend it. It was Paul who said in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 that I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared. That's future. Has prepared for those who love him. He says later in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 for this light momentary affliction. It is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. An eternal redemption that is beyond all comparison. Look, Paul is not minimizing your pain. What he is saying is that compared to the glory that is going to be revealed at our ultimate redemption, even the worst pain in this life will be then considered light and momentary. I've seen some people walk through some pain. I've walked through some myself. I don't understand how that's going to happen, but God has promised it's going to happen, and he hasn't broken a promise yet. And so I trust that what he says is true. Here's what this means. Not one thing will happen in your life that the goodness of God will not one day transform into his glory in eternity. One day you'll be able to look back over all your life and see this hope that we have become reality. The third promise. God promises that the Spirit will intercede for us in our suffering. He says in verse 26, Likewise the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses when we're suffering. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Will you understand the richness of what Paul is saying the Spirit is doing for us in our suffering? The groaning, the Spirit groans for us. The groaning of the Spirit on our behalf indicates deep emotion. The Spirit of God fills your pain along with you. Your pain is real. And in some way, God's Spirit groans because of it even more deeply than you. And I have cried. I've wept in tears of pain. And, and so have you that I thought were as great as they could be. And yet God says the Spirit groans for us in even a greater way. And that spirit prays for us according to God's will, he says. He prays the will of God, the spirit of God. This is God praying for you. He prays for us perfectly that God's good purpose will be accomplished. So listen, when you suffer, sometimes you're at a loss for words, right? You don't know what to say. Sometimes, to be honest, sometimes in your suffering, you don't want to speak words to God. Rest assured, in those moments, the Spirit of God Himself prays for you. He intercedes for you 
in your suffering. What a wonderful promise. The last promise I'll mention is this. God promises that he's going to finish what he started in your life. In verse 29, for those whom, those whom he foreknew also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those whom he predestined, he called, and those he called, he justified, and those that he justified, he has promised and will keep his promise to glorify. What Paul is saying, I know sometime in your suffering you feel like you're barely hanging on. Anchor yourself in this hope and remind yourself of this assurance. What God has started in your life, he is going to finish. If you have been called and you have been justified, God's going to finish with glorifying. When you feel like you're barely holding on, don't you ever forget that he's holding on to you. That what he has started, he is not going to allow to expire or elapse. He will accomplish his purpose in you. He will never, ever let you go. Look, God didn't choose to love you. God did not choose to accept you. Because of your righteousness. I hate to, well, I, don't, I really don't hate to. I'm glad to burst your bubble about this. According to Scripture, from what Isaiah said, your very best righteousness, that is the day that you are the most righteous on the face of this earth, is like a filthy rag compared to the holiness of and in the sight of God. God did not choose you. God did not love you because of your righteousness. He simply chose to love you. And if God did not choose to love you on behalf or because of your righteousness, God's not going to stop loving you when you're not righteous. What he has started he is going to finish. A day is coming in which there'll be a glorification. We have been saved. We're justified. We are being saved. We're sanctified. One day we will finally ultimately be saved completely holy in the presence of Jesus as we are glorified. God has got you and he's going to be faithful to you. As we wrap it up, let me speak specifically to three groups of people in this room right now. Let me speak first to you who are currently in a season of pain and suffering in your life. And as I speak to you, I, I would say, or just ask, rather, that if you find yourself in a place of suffering in life, will you make a commitment to just hold on to hope? What God is doing may not be revealed until eternity. So for now, your task is to hold on to the character of God. Great is thy faithfulness. Strength for today 
and hope for tomorrow is what God offers you if you'll receive it through faith and hang on to hope. Let me also speak today to those of you who are here and you may not be going through suffering, but you're walking with someone who is going through pain. May I ask you to follow the example of the Holy Spirit. Don't try to explain everything because you may end up trying to explain that which simply cannot be explained. Instead, would you sit with those who suffer? Would you weep with those who weep? Would you join the Holy Spirit in praying along with the Spirit for them and with them? But let me also talk to you here today who you walked into this room and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And today, you know, you would say, you know what, this, this hope thing sounds pretty good. You may be desirous of the hope that followers of Jesus possess. The promises of God that we've discussed today, they are true only because Jesus is truly the one who can save us from our sin and sanctify us in our suffering. The promises of God of Romans chapter 8, they are true for me, but the only reason they're true for me is because Jesus is true for me. And because Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And many years ago, I placed my faith in his work for me on a cross. If you're outside of Jesus, listen, if you're outside the family of God, these promises of Romans chapter 8 mean nothing for you. If you're outside of Jesus, these promises will not help you because they're not true for you, but they can be, but they can be, but they can be, because there is a Savior who stared death in the eye and said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Only Jesus has overcome the grave. Only Jesus can overturn all the bad things and make them good. And only Jesus will. Will you place your faith today in this Savior who can take the darkness of your sin and bring into you the light of his character, his love, and his salvation. Would you bow with me this morning? In just a second, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, we're going to stand. This is called our time of commitment. This altar is open for you to pray. If you would like to come pray for someone who's suffering, you're certainly welcome to come use this altar. You can pray there, out there in your pew as well. Where you pray from is not the determining factor, but just know this is a place that if you want to come to this place and pray, you're certainly welcome to. Maybe you're here today and, and you don't know this Jesus. The suffering that happens in this world is nothing 
to be compared to the eternal suffering of those who have no relationship with Jesus. The most tragic thing in all the world is that of all the people who were in hell, not a single one of them had to go there. And you don't either. Today, you can make Jesus your Lord and Savior by praying and confessing your sin to God, repenting of that sin, sharing with God, telling God your desire for Him to change your heart's desire away from sin toward Him. I don't know what God's placed on your heart today. I'm simply going to ask you to place your yes on the table. And you let God decide what's on the table. Father God, I thank you for Jesus. And I thank you that he suffered for my sin. So that the only suffering that I will ever encounter is in this world. That when I'm in eternity with you, that somehow, some way, the sufferings of this present reality, this present world, will pale in comparison to your glory. Would you now have your will and your way with us? And may we simply say yes to whatever you're calling us to do. In Jesus' good name I pray it. Amen. Let's stand and sing.